It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Oliver Cromwell once said, Subtlety may deceive you. Integrity never will. Good morning, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So, Jonathan, what do you say? Let's get started. Hey, welcome back. Well, thanks. It's good to be back. You were on a little bit of a sabbatical there yeah, for a few days, huh? A little huh? vacation, sun, warmth. And you got in like almost this morning, yeah, did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I missed that big snowstorm. Yes, you did. That was really kind of wild. But anyway, glad to have you back. It's good to be here. Kathy did do a good job in your absence. Wonderful. We didn't have Wi-Fi, so we couldn't hear it. Well, that's all right. It's online. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and check out the archive. What a great idea. <laughs> anyway, what's the subject this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed? And our theme text is found in John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Okay. So the question is, would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed? And what are we, asking for trouble? (laughs) (laughs) The bottom line, Jonathan, is this. Look, we we, we live in very touchy times, whether it is debating political positions or arguing for more of what we believe are our rights or standing against those things or those who want to do, do us harm. There are multiple ways of looking at all of these things. And religion is no different. Did you know that almost one half of the world is either basically Christian or Muslim. Wow. That's a lot of people. That is. Kind of makes you wonder. With so many people professing to father, uh, father, fa- father, follow either of these paths, would the founders of these paths, Jesus and Muhammad, have been in agreement with one another? So if Jesus and Muhammad would have sat down at a table, now obviously that couldn't have happened, but if they would have sat down at a table and started talking about things, how would that conversation have gone? Oh, that's a good question. It's an interesting question, and um, obviously we're approaching this from a very Christian perspective. Yes, we are. All right. As a matter of fact, because we live in such touchy times, and because when in dealing with all of the difficulties in society with terrorism that is stimulated by those who claim to uh, be, be standing for their interpretation of Muslim pr- principles. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and again, I'm trying to separate those who don't from those who do in terms of terrorism because the vast majority don't Okay, in terms uh, of, of terrorism and, and, and Islam. It's important for us as we begin this discussion to put things in a very, very clear perspective. So I want to I put a disclosure out there, if you will, so you folks – so – as you listen, you understand very clearly where we're coming from, what it is that we stand for, and how it is that we are trying to proceed with this touchy subject. So our disclosure for today is as follows. We, we here at Christian Questions, firmly believe in the Bible and in Jesus as its centerpiece. We believe that Islam, and therefore Muhammad, while widely accepted in our day, are in fact not representations of God, the creator of all things and his plan, and that Islam and Muhammad actually act in opposition to God's plan. 
Now, having said that, we also believe that there are many good principles taught in Islam, and we will seek to engage our discussion today with care and respect for the closely held beliefs of others. We would ask you folks to do the same. So we're basically saying that, look, we believe in the Bible, we believe in Jesus, that's that. We don't believe that Islam agrees with that. We're going to tell you why in, in, in very great detail as we go through this program. But by doing so, we're not trying to say, well, that means that Muslims are bad. That's not the point. Not, it's not. Not even remotely close. We're talking about doctrine. We're talking about basis of belief. People are a different story. So let's make sure that as we approach the subject, we keep those two things clear in our minds. And if you do want to comment, folks, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255. Our principles of discussion have always been based on respect, even for those things that we flatly and and completely and passionately disagree with. You're right. Absolutely. this is no different. So as we get started with this, we're going to go through several points, several observations, and then give you reasons why we're making these observations. So it's, it's almost a little backwards. We're starting out with kind of a conclusion and saying, okay, here's how we got there. Gotcha. So, so what's our first point? Well, Islam professes a deep respect for Jesus. Now, why do we say that? In doing a lot of research, and I have personally done a lot of of research and, and learning in terms of, of, of Islam for several years, especially after 9-11. I mean, you know... Obviously. Sure, sure. And I have got some, some sources that from, from websites that I pulled from Muslim websites a long time ago mm-hmm. that uh, I can't find anymore. So I, I can't give you the address. Oh. But I still have them in my notes. And they okay. just explain things very, very clearly. So there's a few spots where we're going to be reading from these older notes. And I, I apologize. I, they were from Muslim websites, but I can't give you the sources on this. So, so let's get started with that. Uh, Muslim Perspective. A very elect and highly esteemed messenger of God. No Muslim is a Muslim if he does not believe this. So that's talking about Jesus. Yes. And they're saying, okay, he's a very elect and highly esteemed messenger of God. That shows respect. It does. Okay. Now, as we go through our program this morning, our discussion is really going to be playing off of a discussion uh, on a podcast that you can find on YouTube. It's called The Dean Show, D-E-E-N, uh, and it is a Muslim broadcast. Mm-hmm. And there's a young man, and I've watched several of these over the years. And In my opinion, he is a very, very sincere, very committed uh, Muslim. He wants people to see the goodness of Islam, and he's continually talking about it, and he interviews uh, those other Muslims who can help him bring this out. He is not harsh in his perspective on things. He's reasonable. I really like listening to him. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with many, many things, but I really like listening to him because the attitude is so, in my mind, it's so positive. So we're going to be going to this one particular program uh, that he did, and he was interviewing a fellow Muslim who had done a lot of research in terms of Islam and Christianity, Islam, and the Bible, and he and he and he's drawing from this. I don't know if he's a cleric or not, but he's drawing from this individual uh, t- in terms of learning about 
Islam in relation to the Bible. So we took this program and we broke it up into a lot of little pieces because they say several things that we think need to be discussed. So let's go to the first soundbite uh, from Proof Jesus Didn't Die for You. That's what this is called. Uh, now, now, let me, before we go to the soundbite, you know, when I read that, that makes me cringe inside. Of course. Okay, because it... it, it and probably most of the listeners. Right, it directly <laughs> defies what I believe in. Right. But I wanted to hear, I want to hear the proof. I really want to hear it. I want to listen. I want to try to be quiet and listen and follow what's being said. So uh, let's get started with this first soundbite. We as Muslims believe that, that Jesus Christ was not crucified, but it, so it was made to appear to the people, okay, but that actually uh, our creator raised Jesus up. We do believe that he will come back close to the day of judgment. He will vanquish the, uh, the Antichrist and he will usher in an age of justice. But this is another story. Okay, so one of the key beliefs is that they do not believe that Jesus was crucified, but it was made to look like he was. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll leave it at that because you're, right. say, you're you're saying yeah. okay, saying huh? Exactly. And that's exactly how I feel with the, with the with the whole the whole principle. Let's go back to that other other those other notes, Jonathan, from that other website that I can no longer find. This is a Muslim perspective again on Jesus. It helps to explain it a little further. Jesus is not God's son. That he was sent by God as a messenger to the Jews in order to return them to the pure and true religion of Moses and to relieve them of some of the regulations which had been placed upon them in ancient times. He taught them to have faith as well as works. Neither one can stand alone. Okay, so that is giving a little bit further description on, on their, their viewpoint of Jesus. So, Islam has a deep respect for Jesus, but, but only within the context of what the Quran says should be respected. So, let's see where we end up with this. So, so, so the respect, the confines of the respect are from the direction of the Quran. Okay. They're not from the source of scripture, the Bible, right. but they're from the directions given in, in the Quran. So, let, let's see where we end up with this. Um, here's what Muhammad stood for, and this comes from ediscoverislam.com. So, this, again, is a, a Muslim website. And, and, and almost all of our quoting... In terms of trying to describe Islam, we're going to use Muslims' words describing themselves. Their sources. Right, because I don't believe it is appropriate to try, for me to try to describe Islam. Yes, no, since you're a Christian, and right, your, right. your understanding is there. Right, right. Okay, Good. so uh, let's go to this. This is Islam, a complete code of life. Islam is an all-embracing way of life. It extends over the entire spectrum of life, showing us how to conduct all human activities in a sound and wholesome manner. It does not allow a hierarchy of priests or intermediaries between Allah and human beings. No far-fetched abstractions. No complicated rites and rituals. So what they're saying is the message, what I'm interpreting from that is the message is, look, Islam is simple. But it's comprehensive. It's going to show you how to conduct every single part of your life. Why wouldn't you want that kind of direction? It does. But something that I, I received out of it was I can see why they would have said some of these things. Um, because my observation, that they can see hypocrisy 
in some of the mainstream church leadership. Sure. And they're they're saying we're not gonna we're mess not, it up. We're not like that. That, that yes. And that's good. And, and there's some truth or merit yeah. to that. All right. But the other the other side of that, if you follow it through, they're also saying because they don't believe uh, that that Jesus was more than just a prophet. They have in their descriptions, they're saying, well, Islam is going to give you all the direction you need to live your life. You don't need that guy, Jesus. He was a prophet for the Jews to bring them back to the law of Moses. So don't you worry about him so much. Follow what, what, what we're saying here. So it takes the need for Jesus away from us. It does, yeah. And th- for me, that, that's not a place I want to go. That's not where I live. I'm sorry. It's not our address here. It's not your address. No. no. So let's take a little bit of a comparison now. Take a look at what Jesus stands for in his own words. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. See, now, right there, that is a direct contradiction of what that that website was just describing, because it says, Islam, there's no intermediary needed. Right. Jesus is saying, nobody knows the Father except me. So, if you want to go to the Father, I'm your guy. The source. I'm the way to get there. Go ahead. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, so Jesus is clearly teaching us that there is a necessity for us to find our salvation through him, through Jesus, and to find our connection to the Father through Jesus. That's right. And Rick, he's even describing now for those footstep followers to you know, focus and, and follow him. But even later in God's kingdom, he will be that, that peace that draws yes. humanity to God. And we're going to see that actually in a little bit more of, of what uh, the, 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 the Muslim conversation, uh, deal, how it deals with some prophecies. So we'll get back to that point later on. Perhaps Jesus, and, and this is, this is my, my thought here, perhaps Jesus would have looked at Muhammad, you know, if they were sitting across the table having a discussion, like he looked at the rich young ruler. He would have loved him and seen the good in his heart, and he would have also seen Muhammad's inability to fully accept Jesus. He would have seen that there's some good things here, but there's, some, there's, there's ways that he is far away from being where he needs to be to understand real truth. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, would Jesus and Mohammed have agreed? Coming up, could the scriptures be wrong about Jesus being the Lamb of God? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. When the world falls into You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Would Jesus and Muhammad Have Agreed? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL 
Or don't forget, you can message us on your app. And don't forget to go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. And Rick, with a subject like this, that's very important. Yeah, you want to have it in writing. Yeah, you do. To be able to look at it and read it. And and that way you can kind of study, actually, what we're talking about. Because what we're talking about is a very serious and important subject in, in our world. We're looking at Islam. We're trying to look at it with with the eyes of biblical integrity and honesty, and making observations while not while trying while attempting to not judge the individuals who, for the very, very, very vast majority, we believe are really, 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 really good people. That's right. So what we want to do though is understand the teaching, and where does the teaching put us? Where does the teaching of Islam put our doctrines, our belief? Our closely held beliefs. And so through this program, you're going to notice, Jonathan, we will not attempt at all to quote the Quran. No. I don't pretend to understand any of it. I've read little bits and pieces of it, but uh, it's, not, it's not my book. Okay, that's the way I look at it. It's not my book. It's not a book that I, I, I want to try to figure out to try and interpret because I don't have the paradigm to be able to try and interpret it. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to try. And... I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. All right. <laughs> okay. Let, let's go. We made – the first point was that, that Islam professes a respect for Jesus. Yes. But we can see it's a very, very limited kind of yeah, respect. Yeah, there were challenges. Yes. They didn't believe he was Serious crucified. Um, right. They didn't believe he was the son of God. Right, right. So uh, you take those two things and already we've got, we've got big issues. Mm-hmm. The second point is what? Well, the second point is Islam professes respect for parts of the Bible – and dissects it along the way. And this is an important point. This next soundbite uh, is about Jesus. We you know, we say we believe in Jesus as the Lamb of God. Yes. You know, John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. Right. This soundbite's a little bit long, but they're talking about that very phrase that John the Baptist spoke and challenging it. Let's listen. John one twenty nine, where allegedly it is said, you know, um, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is John the Baptist identifying Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, the problem with this is that the word that is translated to lamb, talia, actually the correct translation from the Aramaic talia is servant, not lamb. So the correct translation would be behold the servant of God. Now, there's a huge difference between servant of God and lamb of God. Uh, But to try to make it fit within previous scriptural harmonies, um, the translation was adapted to lamb of God to make it consistent with other scripture. This This is not honest. This is not forthcoming. This is not... This is not what we should be doing with Revelation. We should be, we should be, you know, clear, obvious, and faithful to the Scripture. And were we to do that, the correct translation is, Behold the servant of God. Okay, I have so much to say (laughs) about that and so little time. We want to be honest and clear and sincere with Revelation, with Scripture. And and the first point to, to look at is he's looking at the Bible as revelation, as something that is very, very sacred and important. So give him kudos for that. Okay. So he's saying, uh, but, you know, if you're going to be honest, translate it for what it's supposed to be. Now, Jonathan, I had not heard this before 
this this idea. And, and John, let's just read uh, uh, John 1, uh, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So my question immediately was, is the word for lamb really the word for servant? So I looked it up, and not in Greek. The word for lamb is the word for lamb is the word for lamb in Greek. Okay. But his point was, in Aramaic, in the, quote, original translation, unquote, the word for lamb was translated from a word which actually means servant. Okay. Now, I could not find that to verify it one way or the other. And you spent a long time. I did. I did. So I'm going to take his word for it. Okay. All right. Let's take his word for it because I couldn't prove it one way or the other. I don't know Aramaic. Um, so the question is, does this nullify Jesus as the Lamb of God? Uh, you know, the soundbite went on to say that this is the uh, only mention uh, in the gospel of Jesus being the Lamb. Therefore, because of mistranslation, it was incorrect. And, you know, you don't want to be following something that's not correct. Okay, so does that nullify Jesus being the Lamb of God? Well, there's two lines of reasoning we need to look at. Okay, the first line of reasoning is that the scriptures you and I believe are a whole. That's right, they, Old and New Testament combined. They belong together. Yes, yes. They, they, they give a resoundingly harmonious message when all put together. Yes, absolutely. So the thought of Messiah as a lamb was not started with John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't just come up with this phrase that we, that, you know, they're saying we Christians say, behold the lamb of God, and then it stuck. John the Baptist used that phrase because he had instruction on what the Lamb of God was all about. We know that through the prophecies. And folks, before we get to the first prophecy, if you have a thought, we're talking about Islam and Christianity and the Bible. What are the differences? What are the potential similarities? Our number is 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And that means we're on right now. And don't forget to download our Christian Questions app into your Google or App Store. All right, so let's go to one only one. There are several, but let's go to one Old Testament prophecy that gives us a sense of this. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 7. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So you have Isaiah clearly depicting the... The, the activities of Jesus, and he uses the illustration of a lamb. Yes. We also have, and we didn't, we won't even touch on this today, but the, the Passover lamb. Oh, absolutely. And the New Testament, how the New Testament picks up on that and, and clearly says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. Mm -hmm. Jesus, our Passover is sacrificed for us. I mean, yes. so, so the idea of the lamb of God is not a fabrication and a mistranslation from John the Baptist. It is a sound Old Testament scriptural principle. So if we're going to be honest about Revelation, like the, the, the gentleman was saying in the soundbite, we have to acknowledge the fact, the fact, that the concept of Lamb and Messiah 
worked together in the Old Testament. That's correct, yes. Now, that's the first point. Okay. The second point, and perhaps even more important, is I really wanted to figure out this Aramaic thing. Okay. Because, you know, he said, well, the Aramaic is the original, and, you know, if you're not going by the Aramaic, essentially you're, you're missing the boat. And I thought, uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I didn't know. I truly didn't know. So I spent hours and hours and hours looking into this. The New Testament was not first written in Aramaic, as some think. It turns out that there are several little fragments of Aramaic New Testament around that are very, very old. Okay. There is a manuscript. It's called a Peshitta manuscript that that has been um, labeled as an original from which all of the New Testament was taken. Okay. So there are some who say who say this particular manuscript, yes, it is it is the original, just like they're saying. My hunch is that they're going to this particular manuscript because it is a relatively complete uh, viewpoint of the entire New Testament. So we looked into that a little bit, and here's what we found. We went to uh, a website. It's got a big long name. Uh, Seeker Rewind, the full edition. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. All right. And let's just read a little bit from it, Jonathan. Classical Syriac, the dialect that the Peshitta is written in, is the most prolific classical Aramaic dialect. It had a golden age between the 5th and 8th centuries and spread all over the Middle East to parts as far as India and China. In light of its history, what can the actual language of the Peshitta tell us about its character? Okay, so first of all, this was a dialect of Aramaic okay. that really was shining in the 5th to 8th centuries. Okay. Now, that's right around the time that Muhammad actually lived. Oh, that's good. good connection. Okay. 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 So, the problem is it is the wrong dialect. It's the wrong language. Let's read a little bit further. Many prosciutto... Uh, Prosciutto. No, that's, that's uh, Italian food. Pesce- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Pesce-ta pri- primacy advocates claim that the Pesce-ta does back to the first few centuries A.D. since it was written in classical Syriac. And Syriac was writ- spoken at that time. It seems logical that the text could be that old. The problem, however, is that not all Syriac is equal. So what they're saying is, look, it's, it's, it's a Syriac dialect of Aramaic, and therefore it does date back to the time of Jesus. But what this, this writer is saying is, look, not all Syriac is equal. And now he gives a little bit of a reason why. If the Peshitta was written about Jesus' lifetime, one would expect the dialect to match up with other inscriptions from the first few centuries. This particular dialect of Syriac is known as the Old Syriac too, and is attested in about 80 different inscriptions. So when we compare the two, what do we find? Some various, some curious and telling differences. So what he does is he goes back to inscriptions from the time of Jesus, from those first few hundred years, and looks at the dialect of Aramaic that's written then. Okay. Then he looks at the dialect of Aramaic that's written in the Peshitta uh, manuscript. And what he finds is a dramatic difference. Let me, let me give you a, an example. Okay. Let's say that you and I, um, we found somebody who had written about Jesus. And we want to say that this was written 1895. All right. Okay, year 1895. Just kind of go back there and, and think about the way people spoke. Mm-hmm. 
English. It's written in English. Okay. Okay. The way people spoke, the way people acted, and let's compare that with what we see in, in our. In, and I'm making this all up, folks. Okay. So somebody wrote about Jesus. We think it comes from the year 1895, and it says Jesus was really groovy. He had some far out teachings that were out of sight. <laughs> That doesn't sound like the 1890s (laughs) to me. (laughs) You you look at that and say, no, 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 no. That's the dialect of the English language in America in the 1960s and the 1970s. Yes. Don't confuse the dialect of the English language from 1890 with the 1960s or 70s. The descriptors are different. So in the Aramaic, it's easy to see the structure of the sentences follows something that came hundreds and hundreds of years later. Interesting. So when they say Aramaic was the basis, the the Peshitta specifically was the basis for the New Testament, they're wrong. It does, it's written the wrong way for it to be At legitimate. At the wrong time. So it is a copy, in fact. So, again, if you're going to be treating revelation, as they said in the soundbite, you have to do it with honesty and integrity. And if your source proves to be dated far too late to be an original, then you have to admit that. Mm. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And don't forget, you can message us with your smartphone app during the program, and we'll try to share your comments on air. Let's go to another soundbite, Jonathan, from Proof That Jesus Didn't Die For You from The Dean Show. And this is about uh, John the Baptist, a little bit more on him. It's said that in John 1.29, John the Baptist knows who Jesus Christ was. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. This guy's the Lamb of God right here. Hey, everybody, Lamb of God right here. We got him right here. Why then in Matthew 11.3 does John the Baptist say, uh... Are you the coming one, or do we wait for another? Okay, now you can't have it both ways. Either John the Baptist knew who he was, or didn't know who he was. Okay, the Christian claim is he knew who he was, he identified him as, as the Lamb of God, and he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we're pointing out, okay, if you're going to say that, then why is it that in Matthew 11:3, you know, he says to Jesus Christ, are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? In other words, he doesn't really know who he is. Okay, so can you have it both ways? First, let's read the scriptures, Matthew eleven two through 6. Now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So John wasn't actually speaking to Jesus. He sent his disciples to Jesus to to verify. John is in prison and there is great doubt here. Yes. And the gentleman in the soundbite is saying, well, you know, you can't have it both ways. He knew he was a lamb of God, so why is he questioning? You can't have it both ways. Well, again, humanity, imperfect humanity, has doubts. Always. You can't have it both ways because we sometimes doubt, and especially when he's in prison and things aren't working out the way he expected them to work out. Exactly. And many of the disciples didn't expect things to work out the right. way they worked out. Right. So, so let's, I just want to go to a quote from uh, um, uh, an article called uh, Muhammad and Jesus by David Wood. He is not a Muslim, just to, to clarify that. A little bit about Muhammad and some of his 
doubts. At age 40, Muhammad fell into a trance in a cave on Mount Hira near Mecca when he claimed to have heard the angel Gabriel speak to him. Muhammad reported, reportedly ran home crying out, O Kadicha, I have become a soothsayer or else I am possessed of a jinn or demon and gone mad. Kadisha and her cousin uh, Warwick uh, con- consoled Muhammad, asking him his vision must asking him assuring him. assuring him his vision must be real and that he was truly God's prophet. Muhammad had additional revelations of Gabriel speaking to him, but he still had agonizing doubts about the reality. He was even more troubled when the revelation ceased, becoming dejected and even uh, entertaining suicide. So Muhammad himself had doubts. Now, look, doubt is human. We all have them. So to say you can't have it both ways is saying that once you believe something, you're never going to ever doubt it. You're never going to ever question it. That's simply not true. That's simply not the way imperfect human minds work. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed? Coming up. So, how did Jesus handle John's doubt? Was it judgmental or not? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Would Jesus and Muhammad Have Agreed? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. And also, interact with us on Facebook at ChristianQuestions.com, and you can tweet us at CQ Net Radio. So, Jonathan, when we were going through that, and, and you know, the, the soundbite was talking about the, the doubt of John, you can't have it both ways, and, you know, we pointed out Muhammad himself had doubts. That's right. And the problem also is, they're talking about when you're treating, dealing with revelation, you're dealing with Holy Scripture, you have to deal with it with integrity. Yes, absolutely. Well, here's the problem I have. They talk about the doubt. And the doubt was legitimate. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. But they don't talk about the next few verses, the very next verse in which Jesus deals with the doubt of John. Let's go to Matthew 11, next verses, verses 7 through 11. As these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus heard the doubt of John, addressed it, told John's disciples, here's the message to give him. Then he turns to his own disciples and he says, basically, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said, don't worry about this. John is a great 
prophet of God. He was not one that was going to be a reed shaken in the wind. No. That's not his character. He's having a moment of doubt. He's in prison. He's, it's okay. He is a powerful, powerful tool of God. So Jesus addresses John's doubt and says, it's okay. He's human. Well, they, they were looking for kingship and right. takeover and a glorious reign. Not being Messiah. in prison. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the doubt of John was not only understood compassionately by Jesus. He also, Jesus also publicly proclaimed the strength, fortitude, and the purpose of John, showing his deep respect for the prophet. Absolutely. So, again, if you're going to quote scripture, have integrity and quote the whole thing. Don't just quote a piece that makes your point. Third point in I'm I okay. Third point. Islam, on Islam. Go ahead. Islam completely misses the main truth of Bible teaching. They really, truly, truly do. Let's go to another soundbite uh, from Proof Jesus Didn't Die for You from the Dean Show, which is a Muslim talk show, and it's talking now about original sin. Actually the original sin ties not only into the, you know, lambness, but it ties into all of Christianity because if there is no original sin, then what is the purpose of atonement? What, what's the need for atonement? What's the need for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ if there is no original sin? So this is a very, very critical doctrine. Mm -hmm. Now, in Ezekiel 18.20, we are told, the son shall not bear the sins of the father. The, wickedness, the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Okay? It clearly states in Ezekiel 18.20 that sins are not inherited, okay? And yet, people say, okay, well, that's Ezekiel. That's Old Testament. We're Christian. We follow the New Testament. Ezekiel, that's Old Testament. Okay, it's Old Testament. No argument there. But you know what? It's not older than Adam. Okay. Let's go through the Ezekiel scripture, and what I might add to that comment, because I flatly disagree with the interpretation, is the danger is, you know, you say, well, that's Old Testament, we're a Christian. What I'm saying to, to this individual is, look, I'm a Bible-believing individual, you're not. Don't try to quote and, and interpret the book that you don't want to be true in its whole fashion. Absolutely. Right. So, and why do we say that so emphatically on the scripture? Well, let's get to the scripture. First of all, let's read the scripture, Ezekiel 18.20. The person whose sins will die, the son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. And that certainly is showing a personal, complete, 100% responsibility for one's own sins. Accountability. Right. No question about that. They're right about that part. Right. All right. Now, let's hold that thought. Let's go back to a little bit more on Muhammad and Jesus by David Wood. Again, David Wood is not a Muslim, but he's writing uh, on just the, the, the development of Islam through Muhammad. In the face of rampant idolatry, Muhammad became zealous for Allah. It was his zeal that led Muhammad to take up the sword for Allah. He would spread Islam by conquering the infidel, unbelieving peoples, including Christians and Jews. Prior to taking up the sword, Muhammad had coexisted peacefully with many Jewish inhabitants of Medina. But when he realized the Jews rejected his prophetic calling and radical ideas, he became angry and began treating them cruelly. As a result, some Jews were driven into exile by his militia, while others were executed with their widows and children being sold as slaves. 
So you can see that some of the physical history of Muhammad and the 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 the, the pressing of his doctrines, if you will, is is a little bit disturbing in terms of the the, the treatment of other people. We're not going to focus on that. It's just part of the, the the facts of the development of Islam early early on. Let's get back to though. Let's get back to this idea of sin. Okay, is there original sin or isn't there according to Scripture? Ezekiel eighteen twenty. When you read it by itself, without hey, here's an idea. Without checking the context, your favorite word. Well, and Jonathan's my favorite word for a very important reason. That's right. Because context reveals truth. Without context, you can make any little sentence mean whatever you want. Absolutely. So when we check the context, we're going to see something a little bit different. It, Ezekiel 18.20 does give you a sense that, okay, everybody's really on their own. Well, why would it be saying that? Well, let's start with Ezekiel 18, verses 1 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? Okay, so that is a very well-repeated proverb from the Old Testament, that the fathers make mistakes and the sons end up suffering. So it gives you a sense of original sin. Yes. Strangely enough. <laughs> Go ahead. As I live, declared the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Okay, stop right there. So if he says you are not going to use it anymore, it means that you did use it. So it did have a reality. So what this prophecy is saying is something has changed. So we've got to figure out what is it that's changed. So let's continue. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the fathers as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. So at this point, now in this prophecy is saying that each soul is going to be responsible for himself. No mm-hmm. longer are we going to die because we were born in sin. Gotcha. Something changed. Something is different. But what this is actually doing is it's verifying... The existence of original sin. Yes. It's not, it's not taking it and throwing it away. It's saying no more because something has changed. Prophecies, Jonathan, prophecies were spoken in old times and some have been fulfilled, some are being fulfilled, and some will be fulfilled. This is one of those that will be fulfilled. fulfilled. This is a prophecy about the future of mankind's accountability. The next several verses, we're going to skip some verses here. The next several verses give examples of behavior. And they're, they're saying, you know, it used to be this way, now it's going to be that way. And so, so the prophecy is showing you differences. And so now we're going to drop into Ezekiel 18 in verses 19 through 23. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. So, let's put this prophecy where it belongs. We believe this prophecy belongs at the time of the day of judgment. Mm-hmm. When Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 20, uh, 29 and 30, or 28 and 29, you know, behold, the time is coming when all shall hear the voice of the Son of Man and come forth. Yes. Some to a resurrection of life and some to a resurrection of judgment. 
This is talking about that resurrection of judgment. This is talking about Jesus having paid the price for original sin. And now they are resurrected to judgment for their own personal character. So it's taking original sin. It's paying for original sin with the sacrifice of Jesus, which Muhammad and Islam does not believe in. And then it's saying, having paid for it, you still have to take care of individuals. Here's how you do it. So the Bible and its expansiveness gives us the true answer to what happens with original sin. Yes, it does exist, but it will not always be the factor in everybody's life in terms of eternity. Each individual will be the factor in their own life. That's what this is saying. So let's finish up these verses. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. That shows you the day of judgment is a day of trial, a day of testing, a day of being able to grow out of those things and make the right kinds of choices. All his transgressions, which he has committed, will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness, which he practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? So God is telling uh, Ezekiel... Something that Ezekiel doesn't really understand. Ezekiel doesn't know when this is going to happen. He, d- he doesn't have a, a big, big picture of it. He's writing what he's being told. And what he's being told is a very clear picture of a future time. And God says, I don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. I would rather take pleasure in their turning from their wicked ways and learning to live. That's what's going to happen. And you know why that's what's going to happen? Because I sent my son, Jesus to die for the original sin of Adam, to cancel out that fathers have eaten the sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, so that each individual, once resurrected, can stand on their own two feet and learn to accept and choose righteousness. What a plan. And if you take the scriptures in context, they certainly make sense. They do. So, so Jonathan, we need to wrap up this first hour. We're going to be continuing next hour with several other points from this program, The Dean Show. And they're, they're, they're giving their observations and their proofs as to why they think Jesus didn't die for our sins. And so far, everything we've seen from them is taking Scripture little bit by little bit by little bit. And look, in defense of, of Muslim culture, that's what they're taught to do. Okay? Oh, okay, We're going to see in the second hour that the Quran really focuses on the first five books of the Bible. The book of Psalms and the Gospels. And that's pretty much it. They don't like the rest of the Bible because it gives too much information. And so they're going to pick and choose. And folks, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that really showing a true respect for the Bible? Is that really showing a true respect for Jesus who himself said he was the Son of God? Is that true respect or is that respect from the standpoint of a little tiny picture created to make something work the way you want it to work? We'll be back in the second hour. A lot more discussion on this sensitive subject, but something we need to talk about. Would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed after the news and all that? We'll continue. But till then, for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, it's about integrity. We'll be back soon. Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. 
You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. James E. Faust once said, Honesty is more than not lying. It is truth-telling, truth-speaking, truth-living, and truth-loving. Good morning. I'm Rick. Welcome back. This is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got a difficult subject on the table this morning, but a very, very necessary subject. We really do, Rick. And our question this morning is, would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed? And our theme text is found in John chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And we're looking at Islam today, Jonathan, in a very, very specific way. We're looking at a little bit of the history of Islam, but only a little bit. But primarily, we're focusing on Islam in their, in their proclamations and understanding of the Bible, mm-hmm. and their proclamations and understanding of Jesus. And as we do that, we're quoting those individuals who are telling us what the Islamic perspective is. And then right. we're checking it against scripture. Mm-hmm. And context. And context. Lots and lots of context. And while we are not at all in any way, shape, or form trying to disparage anyone's closely held beliefs or, or, or anyone's character, we are standing firmly on what we believe to be true and on what we believe to be False. We want to differentiate between those two things. So at the beginning of the program, I, I, I read a little bit of a disclosure just so people know exactly where we are. I think it's important to go through that again. So here it is. We firmly believe, we at Christian Questions believe in the Bible and in Jesus as its centerpiece. We believe that Islam and therefore Muhammad, while widely accepted in our day, are in fact not representations of God, the creator of all things and his plan, and that Islam and Muhammad actually act in opposition to God's plan. Now, having said that, we also believe that there are many good principles taught in Islam, and we'll seek to engage our discussion today with care and respect for the closely held beliefs of others. We would ask you folks to do the same. This is not a bashing of anything. It is not. It is a simple review of, of doctrinal basis, and a response. Now, the response is firm because what we believe the doctrinal basis is is completely, completely, totally, utterly wrong. You know, and, and, and just I'll take it a step further. Folks, this is coming from a guy who's a Christian, entirely a Christian. I've never read the Quran. I don't care to read the Quran, honestly and truly, because I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. I believe that when 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 you have the the traditions of Muhammad receiving the revelations from the angel Gabriel, that's what that's what Muhammad has said. Right, that's what he thought. I believe that one of two things is true. One, he received a revelation, but it wasn't from the angel Gabriel. Because if we track the angel Gabriel in biblical scripture, what he said to Muhammad and what he said in biblical scripture are completely contradictory to one another. They really are. So if it was a revelation, I believe it was a satanic demonic type of a revelation or it's something that came from his own mind because muhammad was a very very brilliant man and he even questioned it himself yes he had his own he he had doubts you know he's a human being now islam in itself doesn't is not so so it's not it's not bad and the people aren't bad but it's something that we need to see in light of scripture and say okay from a doctrinal perspective this is how they view our book and our beliefs 
and is it a, a view of respect or not? Well, we're, we're laying that out. I uh, want to touch on one more important thing. And, folks, if you do have a thought, let me just give the phone number now. If you do have a thought, we'd love to hear from you. 866-985-4255. I want to recap one an important first-hour point about the authenticity of Scripture uh, from a slightly different perspective. Okay, Because we believe that the Greek Scriptures were the authentic or uh, um, writings of Scripture. Not Aramaic. Right. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of these things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seems fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about these things you have been taught. So Luke is taking it upon himself to write things out in order because he says there's lots of rumors going around. I need to settle those rumors. And lots of writings. Right. Okay. Jim Parkinson, he is a a, a Greek scholar that we know. Mm, yes. As a matter of fact, this past summer in July, we had he and Len Grice on a program with us. That's right. About the authenticity of the Bible. And I went back to that program and there's a, a quote here from Jim. Peter Parsons, a papyrologist. A papyrologist. Thank you. One who studies papyri, papyri or papyrus manuscripts in Oxford, England, said that the Greek New Testament is the second best attested work of ancient history. This leads to the next question What is the best attested? Well, the Hebrew Old Testament, of course. And that's directly from, from Jim, who understands all of this. And uh, Aramaic was not the primary language of the New Testament that it was written in. It was actually written in Greek. So, so the Greek Gospels are clearly a sound basis to build the New Testament. Yes, they That's are. an important point. All right. Fourth point about Islam in relation to Scripture. Islam removes the very core of Jesus' sacrifice, the need for redemption. So let's go back to another soundbite from the Dean Show. This is a Muslim talk show, and they're talking about scriptures, and the title of this uh, YouTube video was Proof Jesus Didn't Die for You. And in this soundbite, they're talking about children and original sin. Uh, I mean, the translation is clear. You cannot inherit sin. You sin cannot. Is, so sin is not inherited. I mean, you would look at a child, and you'd look at the child, and you'd say, that child is sinless. Who has ever looked at a baby picked up a newborn baby and said, oh, wow, they just look so evil. You no. know, I mean, never. It never happens. Who looks at a child, who looks at a child, and they just, come on, come on, come here. Sort of like, sort of like Jesus Christ. Yeah. When he said, in Matthew 19:14, he said, let the children come unto me and do not forbid them. Why? Why? In his words, according to the Bible, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Speaking of the children. Yeah. So, so if they have original yeah. sin on them, you know, for of such would not be the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so his conclusion is that Jesus is saying the, the, the kingdom of heaven is built on children, they therefore must be sinless. That's his conclusion. That's his conclusion. Yes, yeah. yes it is. We'll get to that in a moment. We're going to come back to that. Uh, and the way we're going to come back to that is go to the scripture, and then we're going to do a really strange thing. We're going to read the context. Okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, Back to just Muslim perspective on biblical scripture. This, though, this is this is important. Muslims believe in the books of the previous prophets, including the Torah, which was sent to Moses, the Zabor, Psalms, which were given to David, the Injil, which is the Gospel, which was given to Jesus, and the Quran, which was given to Muhammad. However, Muslims are told that the previous scriptures were tampered with by mankind, and the Bible should 
only be accepted in as far as it is confirmed by the Quran. It is to be treated with respect. However, any statements which clearly oppose those of the Quran are to be rejected as the work of men. So, there you have it. He said, focusing on the Torah, the five books, the first five books of the Old Testament, the, the Gospels given to Jesus, and the book of Psalms. Mm-hmm. So, the rest of it, they're saying, is very, very, very questionable and doubtful. And even the parts that they accept, they accept with the, with the uh, caveat that if the Quran doesn't say what that book says, then you take the Quran over the Holy Scriptures. Now, Rick, they do have a point that that I got from that, and that the Bible has been tampered with. Yes. Now, let's take the King James Version itself. There mm-hmm. are over 10,000 errors yes, in the King James true. when it was translated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there is a point, but... Right, there is a point, and, and, and that's why you have the thousands of manuscripts and the people that do the laborious work of finding what the most ancient and most accurate, accurate. writings are. So you're yes. right about that. There, is, there has been tampering. So hidden in, in, the, in this statement is some truth, absolutely positively. However, if the Muslim faith accepts the Psalms and the Gospels, what about the following verse? Uh, you remember, because they're saying, look, there is, no, there is no original sin. Any baby born is born pure and sinless. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So it's talking about being brought forth in sin. In sin. Yes. But what they'll say is, well, that verse doesn't really mean that because the Quran says it shouldn't mean that. Ah, so okay. You're running into a specific and serious issue with the acceptance of what we believe to be God's holy word. Now, let's get to the verse in question, Matthew 19, 14. Remember about the little children. Let the little, leave the little children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That was the verse they quoted. Now, let's look at the larger context. And, you know, Jonathan, you don't have to go that far to get the larger context here, that was Matthew nineteen fourteen. Let's go back one verse to verse thirteen, and then read two verses after through verse sixteen. And they were bringing children to him, so that, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, "Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such of these." Okay, that's what they 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 talked about. Now, truly, I say to you. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And verse 16. Truly, I, um, and he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. So in verse 15, Jesus clarifies his statement about the children. And he says, if you don't accept the kingdom of God like a child. So when he says, if you don't accept the kingdom of God, is he talking to other children? No. He's talking to his followers. Yes. You, adults. You have to become more childlike. More humble, more teachable. In your acceptance of what I'm telling you. So he's saying, put aside all of your preconceived notions as an adult. So the verse explains itself. It does. And if you want to, they, they keep talking about having honesty and integrity with Revelation. And Jonathan, I'm, I'm very challenged when I, when I look at their interpretation of Scripture because they are completely misrepresenting things to make a convenient point. Sometimes Scripture is inconvenient because it tells us actually the truth. 
do we want to find the truth in its inconvenience or do we want to just have the convenience of what, whatever it is we're comfortable with and move on from there? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Did you ever see the movie Amadeus? No, I, no, I didn't. It's, I think it came out in the 90s. It's about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, the composer. And it, it, it tells a lavish story of – he had lived a very short life. And it tells the story of his – he was incredibly brilliant. His music is just it's, – it's, 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 it's incredible. It's wonderful. And it tells the story. And the backdrop of the story in the movie – and I'm stressing in the movie, is there's this other guy, this other composer, who ends up being a rival of Mozart's okay. and essentially drives Mozart to his death. He had a, like he died when he was like 38 years old. And you know, you're re, you're, I'm watching the movie, and I was watching the movie re, within the last month or so, and thinking, man, did that really happen? Because I, it, just, it was like, boy, did, I didn't realize he went through all that, so I looked it up, and it didn't. You mean it was just in the movie? It was just a story. Oh. But the way it's portrayed, the name it was a real name of a real person, a re- an, an, another real composer. Okay. But they completely fabricated his character. They completely fabricated his motivation. They completely fabricated this rivalry. It came out of nowhere except some uh, somebody's mind. So what you have in that is you have the truth. Mozart, A, was a composer. B, he composed beautiful music. C, there is this other guy by this other name. And that's it. <laughs> Nothing else is real. That's what wow. the Islam, Islamic faith does to the scripture. It takes a couple of sound, secure, real true points and builds a whole bunch of other stuff on top of it that is fictitious. That's not integrity. You've got to take the whole thing for the whole thing. The story Amadeus is a story. You got a few facts mixed with a lot of fiction, and it creates a, a perspective that you're going to look at and say, ah, it's not quite, quite so good. Um, let's see, Jonathan, we're almost out of time. We are out of time for this. Let, let's just see what, what kind of question we have on the phone, and then we'll come back to that in the second, All right. next segment. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Good morning, Carol, and welcome to Christian Questions. Thank you. Um, I, I, my mother uh, purchased a Bible for me uh, the year my husband died, and... Um, when I told people that I was going to begin with the Old Testament, they said, oh, no, 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 don't start with the Old Testament. And I kind of got um, really upset because I started reading it. And why why would they tell me that? Can you answer me why I can't begin with the Old Testament? <laughs> Carol, you can begin any place you want. Right, <laughs> right. But, but they said, oh, no, don't go there. Well, and, and just a very quick answer on that is because sometimes it's easier if you start with the New Testament because if we, we understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, the two work together. If you start with the Old Testament, you're starting with the history before, uh-huh. and then you're going to get to Jesus and the history after. Right. If you start with Jesus and the history after, and then you go back to the Old Testament, a lot of times it'll make more sense because the Old Testament was written in expectation of Jesus. So it, there's no wrong answer here. Uh-huh. I think it's just a, 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 a There's a lot preference. of diversity in the Old Testament. Is sure. that why they don't want me to read it? Well, no. No, it's just oh. that it's not focused on Jesus except through prophecy okay. and, and the sacrifices and so forth and so on. Oh. But um, anyway, Carol, thanks, thanks for the okay. question. Okay, well, thank you for answering me. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Take care. Um, Jonathan, we need to go into a break at this point. Islam and Christianity, the two don't seem to mix at all, do they? 
This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed? Coming up, why doesn't the Muslim faith accept any of the New Testament outside of the Gospels? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed? And the answer is really unequivocally no. Jesus would have had to say quite a few things to Muhammad. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or don't forget, you can message us on your app and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, let's move forward here. It's hard to get through this material because there's so much to say. The fifth point about Islam. Islam also undermines all of the Apostle Paul's credibility. Okay, all? All. All right, and we're going to hear that in a moment. The idea of atonement. We need to be brought back to God because we cannot stand before him. That's what atonement is all about. Um, We can't stand before God on our own. Jesus' death and resurrection provided this pathway to God. That's right. All right, now let's go to the soundbite from the Dean Show about atonement and what they're saying is atonement being from the Apostle Paul. Atonement, the concept of atonement comes from 2 Timothy 2 8. Okay? Yeah. And in this verse, uh, it's, this is taken from the letter of Paul, right? Paul is saying that it was according to his gospel that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Where else do we find it? That's it. Now, point is, I mean, are you going to trust Paul with your salvation when we know that you know, Paul is the only one who wrote about the atonement. The doctrine of the atonement com- comes from Paul, and yet Paul contradicted basically everything that Jesus Christ said and did and was. Jonathan, I have to take a deep breath. Whoa. <laughs> and, you know, am I going to trust the Apostle Paul with my salvation? Yes, I am. Because he was a true follower of Jesus Christ. Unequivocally, Undeniably, so there's a little bit of a difference there. A little, I would say. <laughs> uh, and and so and and before we go to the phones, you know, he, he said the idea of atonement comes from the apostle Paul, and I think, wait, wait, how, where, what? How about Exodus and Numbers, Rick? Well, okay, the word atonement. Now, remember, Islam only will look at the first five books of the Old Testament, okay. and that's why I only looked at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The word atonement appears about 65 times in Exodus through Numbers. So it's not like the idea was some foreign thing to Jews who were converted to Christianity. The idea of atonement was front and center in their lives. God was emphatic with his people that they could not come before him in their imperfect state without the sacrifices that they were to offer in the Old Testament to open the door. All of that was a precursor to the coming of Jesus, who was the ultimate sacrifice, who was the atonement. It made sense. Who was the lamb 
the Lamb of God. To get rid of original sin? Right. That's why the atonement sacrifices in the Old Testament were there. They were, they were a temporary fix until the permanent fix could come on the scene. If you're going to talk about the Bible, and you're only going to talk about a few of the books, then know what is in those few books, instead of just making statements like that. that I apologize, folks. I'm frustrated with that. I apologize. I shouldn't be that frustrated. Yes, I should. <laughs> oh, no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. Jonathan, let's go to the phone. All right. All right. Well, we have Arlene from Connecticut. Good morning, Arlene, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning, Jonathan and Rick. Good morning. I have not read the Koran, but my brother has, and he's told me quite a bit about it. He said all through the Koran, it mentions that the Islam, the Islam religion must slay the infidels. Now, being Christians, are we the infidels? Yes. 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 Okay. Well, I wonder, does that mean slay our thoughts or slay our physical bodies? It depends on who you talk to. And, and, and Arlene, the thing is this. I want to be really careful in trying to interpret what the Koran says because I don't know. And if we just casually read the Koran, we're not going to understand what Muslims say the Koran says. Just like if you casually read the Bible, you're really not going to get the whole import. So I'm very hesitant to try to say, well, the Koran means this or that. I will quote a Muslim telling me what the Koran means, and I'm going to take their word for it. That's just the kind of the way that I, I, I treat it. I really wish a Muslim person would call in. That would be very interesting. <laughs> it would be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? There also was quite a bit in there, my brother mentioned, about reincarnation and not killing animals because it was a sin to kill any animal, cows, sheep, whatever. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm not, I'm not too sure about that, so I, I can't give you a comment. I apologize, again, because I don't know what the Koran really Well, I do says. hope if there are any Muslim people listening that they would call in and just inform us a little more on that. Well, good thought. Thank you, Carol. Uh, Carol, I'm sorry. Thank you, Arlene. Okay, Jonathan. Good show. Thank oh. you. <laughs> I guess she showed me, didn't she? <laughs> I guess she did, Rick. <laughs> hey, look, Carol was on the phone just a few minutes ago. Give me a break. I'm sorry, Arlene. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, folks, let's refocus. <laughs> Arlene, thanks so much. And, you know, but she brings out an important point. I, and again, I want to restate it. I'm really personally very careful in, in trying to interpret somebody else's book. I don't want to do that because it's not fair to them for me to read a line or two or a chapter or two or even a, a, a portion and say, ah, look, this is what they mean. I don't know what they mean. So don't do that to our book either. That's what we're asking here. Arlene, thanks so much for the call. I apologize for the mix-up on the name. Romans 5, 8 through 11. But God commandeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also... Joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. And that's where, you know, this, 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 this gentleman on the Dean Show is saying, well, you know, the Apostle Paul is the only one to bring it up. He's bringing up this atonement thing, and, you know, nobody else talks about it. But Jesus talks about it in terms of what he's here for. And he doesn't use the word. And does that mean that he's not talking about it? No. Of course not. You have to put things, again, in the perspective of what they were meant to be said. Second Timothy 2.8. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Okay, so um, 
according to my gospel. Now, you know, that sounds, that sounds again, if you read just that line. Sounds like he has a different gospel right? than someone else? He's, it sounds like he's saying, well, you know, Paul is telling us he's it, that's that, and, you know, move on from there. What he's saying is, he says, this is what I've dedicated myself to. And if you're hearing things that are contradictory, he's saying you better check it because I'm, I'm writing in line with the will of God. And there's something to be said for that. There is some, it's not the gospel that the Apostle Paul made up. It's the, apostle, the, 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 the gospel that the Apostle Paul is repeating. Is the, it's the gospel that the Apostle Paul has been taught. That's why he's labeling it his gospel. Only uh, Paul spoke of the death and resurrection. Remember in the soundbite That's saying? That's what he said, yeah. You know, Jesus himself plainly talked about his death and resurrection. Luke eighteen thirty one to 34. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and mistreated and spit on. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will raise again. So uh, Jesus is, is plainly explaining what's about to happen. Go ahead, continue. But the disciples understood none of these things, and the meanings of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. You know, and so, so you got this idea that they were told, but they just didn't get it. Now, that's okay. It's all right to not be able to understand it the first time around. Sure. But then you see it, and things happen. Uh, angels reminded the women at the tomb of what Jesus had said. So, you know, the idea that nobody else talked about the death and resurrection of Jesus, in the Gospels, you have Jesus' own words, and then at his resurrection, and incidentally, he was resurrected. Yes. Okay, he did die, yes. and he was brought back from dead by God Almighty. This is what the angel said, Luke 24, verses 5 through 9. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So if you're going to proclaim that Jesus wasn't really crucified in that he didn't really die and wasn't really raised, then you have to take what Jesus said to his disciples out of the Gospels, which you said you accept. And you have to take what happened here because they said it was made to look that way. But the scripture in Luke says that the women remembered Jesus' words. They confirmed that Jesus had already talked about this. So you got this, these, these statements and confirmations that all seemed to fit. Didn't Jesus appear to Saul before his name was Paul? Yes. Didn't he give him a mission? Yes. To accomplish? Yes, he did. For his namesake? That's right. Go bring this gospel to the Gentiles and see how much you're going to suffer for my sake. Exactly. And <laughs> He was put on a personal mission. Of course he was. And, and again, Jonathan, when we, when we look at, at the Quran, when we look at Muhammad and all of those things, the idea, th that happened 600 years after all of this. And, and I want to just add a, a, a quick thought here, that when you look at Islam, Islam well actually, let's, let's, read, let's read this next um, little portion describing a little bit more of Islam. This is from ediscoverislam.com, Islam, a Complete Code of Life. Islam does not recognize any kind of separation between religion and life. 
it openly rejects the Western saying, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. For everything should be dedicated to God alone, and a Muslim is required to submit himself completely to the will of Allah in all his affairs. What means, Say, truly, my prayer, my sacrifice, my living, and my dying are for Allah, the Lord of the worlds. No partner has he. He This am I commanded, and I am the first of those who submit to his will. So, first of all, it says it openly, openly rejects the Western saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God's. That's not a Western saying. No, it's a scripture, isn't it? it? It's not only a scripture, it's the words of Jesus himself. Hmm. Okay, let's read Luke, I'm sorry, Mark twelve fifteen through 17. They brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to him, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. So this is not a Western saying. This is the words of Jesus in one of the Gospels that you say as a, as a Muslim you accept. So are you saying that Jesus didn't say this either? And they're interpreting again, Jonathan, to say that, well, you know, there's a separation in what we should do. You know, do for Caesar what Caesar should do for God what's God's. In Islam, it's, it's all about, you know, serving Allah. No, 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 that's not what this is saying. This is saying be lawfully... A, a lawfully abiding citizen, pay your taxes. Yeah. Do, what, do what's right in the sight of man. Right. And give your all to God Almighty. Yes. That's what he's really saying. So, it, it, this is frustrating in, 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 on, on several levels. I want to I make just a, a, a parallel here. Islam, I believe, is a fake Judaism. Okay. A pseudo-Judaism. I think that it, it comes up because it has the same principles of Judaism. It gives you the directions, a law, so to speak, that you follow. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what Judaism was. Islam, they, they believe the promised seed wasn't Isaac, but instead was Ishmael. Right. Okay. And I think that it is, it is there to replace the acts of following a law. Just like at the same time when Islam was created, and it was created by Muhammad, at the same time, you had the papal system create a fake kingdom of God on earth. They created a fake kingdom. They had their thousand-year kingdom. That was no kingdom of God. Which failed. Which failed. Okay? It was fake. So, it, it, Islam fits into that category of something that does not belong. That's why they call it the Dark Ages. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, one quick soundbite, and, and Jonathan, this is a great soundbite to leave this segment on, but uh, uh, in the last soundbite they were saying that Paul contradicted Jesus. Well, they're going to give you a whole lot of reasons why they think Paul contradicted Jesus in this next soundbite. When Jesus Christ taught Old Testament law, Paul negated it. Jesus Christ taught accountability, Paul taught justification of faith. Jesus Christ taught that he was the Son of Man. Paul taught that he was the Son of God. Jesus Christ taught, pray to God. Paul said, pray to Jesus. Jesus Christ taught that he was an ethnic prophet, not sent but to the lost sheep of Israel. Paul said that he was a universal prophet. And on and on and on. What am I pointing out? I'm pointing out that you not only had conflict between uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ and, and Paul, okay, disparate teachings contradictory to one another, but you actually had the disciples of Jesus, the true disciples, were in, in open conflict with Paul. So many accusations, so little time. 
and 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 we're not going to go into each and every one of these. Jonathan will touch on a couple of them in the in the next segment. But the bottom line is, you can't be any further off than that. When you study and understand the teachings of the Apostle Paul, what you see is him verifying and making uh, bright the teachings of Jesus. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is: Would Jesus and Muhammad have agreed? Coming up. How should we handle the differences between our faith and the Muslim faith? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today is, Would Jesus and Muhammad Have Agreed? We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or don't forget, you can message us with your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write to us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, as we go into our final segment here, the last soundbite we listened to was really derogatory to the Apostle Paul. Yes. And I, I, I personally get very, very frustrated at that because it, it shows an obvious disregard for how the Apostle Paul enhanced the teachings of Jesus. That's right. He did not contradict them. He enhanced them. We don't have time to go into all of them, except the one thing that he that he said. You know, he says that Jesus called himself the Son of Man. The Apostle Paul called him the Son of God. I read the book. Okay, just read the book. John fourteen one through six. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house. In whose house? My Father's house. Okay. Are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, Jesus is clearly showing that the Father is his Father in my Father's house. Jonathan, reread our theme scripture. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So, don't tell me that Jesus didn't call himself the Son of God. Just, it's, 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 it's a hideous misrepresentation of the sacredness of Scripture. Let's go uh, to, we've got two more sound bites here from the Dean Show. This is on, interestingly, I, I titled this portion of the soundbite Selective Thinking. And, and here's how they're kind of wrapping up their perception, the Muslim perception of Christian thinking. Listen carefully to this. But you actually had the disciples of Jesus, the true disciples, were in, in open conflict with Paul. Open conflict. And yet, and yet, and yet, people look at the epistles of Paul and they find the things that they want to teach the atonement and they grab a hold of that. And they say, okay, you know, we'll believe in the atonement. From this guy who everything else he has done has contradicted Jesus, but we like this part, so we're going to hold on to it. 
this is so very, very, very select, selective uh, thinking. I mean, it's taking what you want. It's taking what you want because you like it, rather than taking the reality. And you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you know, look in the mirror when you speak those words. Look in the mirror because exactly that is exactly what's happening as has been evidenced through the, this whole conversation is you're not taking the scripture at what it says. You're taking it for what you want it to mean. You're going to throw away everything that doesn't fit what you want so you can come up with the conclusion that's predetermined and can't allow the vast majority of scripture. That, my friend, is selective thinking. So here's the Apostle Paul's assessment on his own mission. And yes, this is the Apostle Paul's assessment on his own mission. Acts twenty twenty five through 29. And now behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. See, he's saying that I showed you everything that I could possibly show you, and I wasn't afraid to show you the things that were even difficult. So the Apostle Paul is enhancing, he's building on the teachings of Jesus. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. See, Paul's thinking and actions were not selective. They were inclusive. He was trying to prepare the church at large for a tremendous uh, season of trial and difficulty. And we saw how after the apostles left the scene, there was incredible amounts of corruption that were brought into Christianity. Absolutely. We know that. We acknowledge that. And that's why what we do is we study to try to find the real truth of the scriptures. And the scriptures are our textbook. Nothing more, nothing less. Folks, if you have a thought, now would be the time, 866-985-4255. Let's go to another soundbite, Jonathan. Last one from the, the Dean Show, uh, proof that Jesus didn't die from you for you. This is a Muslim perspective, and uh, this is now addressing Jesus on the cross. And uh, of all of the things that we've talked about, I, you know, it, 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 they're frustrating. But I want to show you the whole picture of, of this, the perspective in looking in on Scripture. So let's take a look at this uh, last soundbite, Fred. So let's go to soundbite um, number nine. Now, now, the passage you quoted, okay, yeah. I mean, the translation of that is, you know, is, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? doesn't seem like so someone that, who's ready to go. That, that actually is blasphemous. Yeah. Okay, and we as Muslims say, we, we don't believe that he said that. Yeah. You know, because that is blasphemous to say, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Job didn't say that. Abraham didn't say that. Yeah, okay, you know, and you, you have all of these prophets. I, I use Job. I mean, Abraham's an excellent example, but I use Job because he's the, you know, he's what we always hold up as the example of patience. He never said, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? And yet we are going to say that Jesus, Jesus Christ's faith was so weak that he, that he believed his Lord had forsaken him, this is blasphemy. Yeah. No, you, know, no right, you wouldn't expect that from any righteous person, much less from a prophet, yeah. much less from you know, one of the greatest prophets of mankind. So, um, the, the 
<laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Because, you know, they're looking at that and they're looking at those words and saying, well, it's blasphemy. Because they don't understand. And, and, and Jonathan, here is where really we have to apply the, the, the true value of our Christian teaching to have great compassion for those who just don't understand. Yes. Because what they're not getting, what they're not seeing is that Jesus is, is not saying that God has, has left him high and dry. First of all, if you looked at this 22nd Psalm, incidentally, Psalms is one of the books that they say is okay. Right, right. The 22nd Psalm, if you did an in-depth study of that, you, what it would reveal is that Jesus was not exhibiting a lack of faith. Rather, he was experiencing the full measure of bearing the sin of the world. We would not expect those of the Muslim faith to even be able to remotely understand this. But the fact is, Jonathan, those words... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are the ver- words of Psalm 22, verse 1. What it tells us is Jesus' mind was totally focused on that psalm because when you read it, it's about his crucifixion. And they accept the psalms. They, yeah, but and they there do, it is. But they don't understand. They just don't have it in them to understand because their narrow way of thinking has to be narrowed by the predetermined uh, uh, boundaries of the Quran. And when he quoted uh, Job being one of the most patient men in the world, they don't accept the book of Job. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't true. understand. Yeah, yeah, I know, that. I know, I know. So, so you know, one, one last text, and then, then we really need to spend a few minutes wrapping this up and, and putting it in the proper kind of context. One last scripture regarding the words of Jesus describing his preeminence and the value of his sacrifice, because those are the two things that they take away. But these are the words of Jesus telling us exactly the role that he plays unequivocally. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who do good to the deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who commit the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I did not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So those verses really encapsulate so much of what Jesus came for. He came for the sins of the world. He came for the sins of those who are Muslim as well as those who are Christian, as well as those who are Jew, as well as those who are atheist or Buddhist. Or Hindu. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Jesus died for the sins of Adam, for original sin. That's what the scriptures teach us. And if you're going to undermine all of these things, then what you're saying is, I don't don't take or I don't believe in the Bible. So you've you've got a real strong contradiction here that we need to kind of iron out in our own minds. Mm -hmm. How do we as Christians deal with this? Do you get mad at it? What are you supposed to do? Now, I will admit, okay, that, and you asked my wife, when I was listening to these things, I, I was doing my, my Rick Mad dance. Okay? <laughs> you were frustrated. I was. I, I absolutely positively was because it is so far away from the way I understand the sacred book of the Bible. So how do we deal with this? And I think there's two important things. I want to spend several minutes on this here. First, we need to separate those who believe from their belief as it is important to be firm in our response to the gross errors without personally judging and, and Jonathan it's it, you said it before love the sinner but not the sin right we really have to work on that especially when something frustrates you yes yes and it, it's not an easy thing no 
but it's a necessary thing because I believe that's exactly what Jesus would have done here. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. Okay. All right. And this is a dramatic example, but I chose this example, thought it out very carefully. Let's talk about witchcraft. Okay. Let's talk about Wicca, which is white witchcraft. While I would unequivocally steer people away, far away from the belief of Wicca, I happen to know some who are Wiccan, who are witches. Okay. okay? They are honest, they are sincere, caring, trustworthy, and engaged people. I like them. And I can work alongside of them as human beings without any trouble. I see those of the Muslim faith in the same way I see those who are of the Wiccan faith, who are witches. All right? I would unequivocally steer people away from their belief system, but have no problem working alongside of someone who is a Muslim as a human being. Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter to me because if they're good people and whatever their belief system is has integrity and honesty and hard work is attached to it, great. I don't have a problem. But am I going to say to people, hey, you should try that out? No, I'm not. And I think that's how we need to, in in a very practical way, separate the sin from the sinner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that that's a that's kind of dramatic because when you say witchcraft, you say, well, of course you wouldn't want to go there. But this is the same type of a thing. It is a doctrinal difference that is so great and it so completely undermines those things that we hold to be true and sacred that you can accept the goodness of a human being, but you don't have to agree with what they stand for. Right. Okay? The second point on this is when confronted with the Muslim tenet that they believe in Jesus and believe in Scripture because that's what they say. Folks, I'm going to challenge you all to have the courage to respectfully disagree as their perspective utterly disrespects the origin, purpose, and sacrifice of Jesus and destroys the sacred plan of God revealed in the Bible. So when in, in your conversations, and if a Muslim in trying to, to establish common ground, if they, well, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the Bible, what I would want to do, Jonathan, if it was me, is I would want to smile. And I'd say, I really appreciate that. But honestly, sir, with all due respect, you do not believe in the Bible and you do not believe in Jesus. You believe in an idea of the Bible and you believe in little tiny parts of who Jesus was. And to me, that is not believing in in the Bible or in Jesus. It's like me saying, Muhammad's just a good guy. That's it. No, I don't believe in Muhammad. Is he a guy? Yes. Was he good? I hope so. That's it. Have the courage to respectfully disagree and put in place where Jesus really, truly belongs. He, Jesus Christ, is the centerpiece of the plan of God, and there is no other plan. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. Tough subject, but something very, very necessary as we talk about Islam looking at the Bible and how we should respond. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But until then, Jesus the centerpiece. The attitude of Jesus toward those with whom you disagree, witness to them. We'll be back next week. Think about it. <laughs>